Hey, Gigi peeps. We want to say a huge thank you to everyone that's been with us for the past year. That's right. GGP is over a year old now. We've seen slow but steady growth since we started. This all started out as a passion project, so we're really excited to see that people are liking what we're putting out there. We've been so fortunate to be able to speak with creators like Cesar Capacle and Joe Donka about their projects, and to be able to learn of and play games we might not have ever known of otherwise. It's given us a great excuse to dive deeper into indie games and small publishers, which has been a never-ending source of motivation to keep creating and publishing our own work. To each and every person that has joined us on this journey, thank you. We wouldn't be doing this now if it wasn't for your support and encouragement over the last year. Here's hoping this is the first of many anniversaries and that we'll always have a little something to celebrate with the community. What's up, GG peeps? It's me, Josh, at BlackCloakDM on Twitter. Josh, we're going to have to have a talk about that opening. Uh, this is, <laughs> I'm Brandon at Way of Brandalore on Twitter. And welcome uh, to this episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. Yeah! <laughs> Uh, what you don't you don't like my highly casual introduction? Uh, oh my God. You sounded like you sounded like an episode of Saved by the Bell or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> you need like a giant cell phone if you're going to talk that way. And, and weird yeah. weird neon colored clothes. Hell yeah! Acid wash jeans. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. Um, we're going to be talking about a couple of things today. But to start things out, I am going to be talking about uh, the thing that made me itch.io this past, uh, what, two weeks? Two weeks. There we go. Yeah. I was like, We're, how, we how need long to, we between need to, our episode releases? We need to settle on a good name for this segment. I like scratch my itch. Scratch my indie itch or something like that. Yeah, I think, I think that's like 90% of the way there. If anybody has a suggestion what we should call this, uh, you can tweet us at Goblin Scrawlers. You know we pay attention to these things because we keep talking about stuff that y'all have said to us in various social media platforms. If you start saying enough, we won't have to come up with our own content and you'll save us so much time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. That'll be great. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about a game called Alone Among the Stars by Takuma Okada. This is a single player role playing game. Uh, and all it takes is a single D6 and a pack of 52 cards. The concept of the game is that you are a space explorer who is out on a solo mission trying to learn things about a new planet. And so rolling the die corresponds with the number of events you'll see. And then you pick a card. The card gives you some details about what specifically that thing is. And then uh, you roll the die again to determine how difficult was it to get to the thing that you found. And then you do some journaling based on that. And I've, always found, I've always found these journaling games fascinating because it's almost like somebody has taken creative writing prompts and uh, gamified and monetized it, which is fine. I've just, I've never sat down and played one before, but I've always wanted to make the time for it. And I just never have. Um, so because I knew I was choosing our itch game for this week, I took the time to sit down and play this one. And the rules were really straightforward. The total document is four pages. So it's very quick to get into the game itself. And then I spent like 
two and a half hours just playing the game and writing a journal, which I drew six cards and I ended up only playing one, two, three, four of them. Mm -hmm. So over two and a half hours. The thing it really did for me and the thing that I think a lot of the people who listen to this show would like it for is it got me creatively writing because it kind of gave me a jumping off point. It mm-hmm. gave me a little bit of like, here's the thing you're working towards. Here's the general vibe of getting there. And here is like the the surrounding situation. And so with all of that information, I just started writing and it ended up, it was kind of fun. It was also a lot of like kind of self-exploration about like where where is my head at right now like what are things i'm thinking about right now Mm -hmm. and it got me i haven't been doing a lot of writing super recently and it got me writing again which was really nice actually it was like spending time with an old friend you know well talking like you were saying about um it it was a good way to explore sort of where you were did you find it like lowercase t therapeutic or anything like that? I might call it cathartic as opposed to therapeutic. Okay. But yeah, I was, there's something about having a very broad circumstance that you're writing within mm-hmm. and that being a motivating factor for you to explore kind of your own head a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I get that. That's, that's how some of the projects I've sort of been working on interminably uh, are. Uh, they started last year when I was in sort of a, a period of low-grade malaise. And if I go back and read them now, it's very reflective of that. Yeah, exactly. It's it's pay what you can on itch.io. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes for y'all. Uh, but I was looking at some of Takuma Okada's other work because this was published in December of 2018, but last updated January of 2022. So this has been kind of an iterative process. I saw that they also had a Kickstarter at one point. Um, mm-hmm. They've released a two-player version of this game and a couple of their other solo games that like this one's the two-player version is called Together Among the Stars. And it has some very fancy cover art. I'm looking at it right now. It's very oh. pretty. I like it a lot. Oh, actually, what I'm looking at, and it's always fun when we uh, sort of half prepared for this because the audience <laughs> gets to share on our journey of discovery about this. Um, Naveofcups.com actually offers a risograph printed zine version of the game that right now appears to be on sale for eight dollars uh as of the recording of this which is just a few days before it's releasing we're recording this on wednesday this is going to come out on monday so it may still be on sale naveofcups.com uh together among the stars and there's like a deluxe bundle too for 25 bucks where you get uh uh a game pack the risograph edition and two starship stickers oh it looks like that's sold out though Oh, because they're out of the game pack because <laughs> they're out of the game pack. So they can't make the full package on it. But that makes sense. Yeah. But anyways, uh, if you want to play it with two people, we should. Yeah, do, we should. We should do that for a stream one day or or an episode or something. Just play oh, together. Yeah. The stars. That would be really fun. Yeah. Um, the other thing I found while digging through Takuma Okada's other work 
is that they have a band camp at noroadhome.bandcamp.com. Which... That's, the, that's the next Spider-Man movie. <laughs> they're, they have three tracks up there. And they're all, they all have this kind of like 16 bit vibe, which if you look at a lot of the cover art of a lot of the stuff that they've written is very 16 bit kind of vibes. Uh, Some of them are like eight bit or even six bit, I would say. (laughs) Well, you sent me the link. You're like, oh, hey, uh, they say that they wrote these originally for a podcast. And I said, like, like a theme song for a podcast. You're like, well, not quite. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then we were listening to it. I was like, this sounds like a cutscene from uh, maybe like a, an early 90s computer game, like a King's Quest yeah. or something like that. Yeah. So I don't I don't know if any of y'all know what this music was for, but I would love to know what this music was for, because that sounds like a podcast I need to at least listen to a little bit of. <laughs> um, uh, continuing our, our journey of exploration here. Uh, looking at the actual product page for the Together Among the Stars Risograph Edition, I was looking, I, I went to read the description, but I'm actually looking at the category and tags on it because, you know, it's set up like uh, a CMS blog. And it says uh, tags, nonviolent, Risograph, Together Among the Stars, UV Reactive, Duet, GMless, 420 Friendly. Hell yeah. Did you get that vibe when you were playing the single game? <laughs> Or are they saying I, that are they saying that marijuana is something that should only be enjoyed with a friend? <laughs> I think this would be uh, alone among the stars. I think would be safe to play uh, with a little a little mind altering substance involved. Because you're gonna be high as a <laughs> kite by then. Uh, whatever you write may be radically different from what you would write if you were not. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh-huh. Uh, I was going to show off a little bit the Bandcamp page because they've got this cool, like, 16-bit subway train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Love it. And, and it's no, ro- it. no road home.bandcamp.com. Yep, that's the one. Yeah, and there's three tracks on there. Yeah. Which we would love to play, but won't because that would be wrong. Uh, not only would that be wrong, but the last thing I need is for this person to be like, you know, I, I heard your episode because you talked about my game and I'm kind of annoyed that you played this music on there. Yeah, after um, after the creator of A Grotesworth of Grotesques uh, hit us up on Twitter, I'm more paranoid now about people who are actually listening to this. Oh my god, we haven't recorded since that happened. I had half blanked it from my memory because it seemed so fantastical. Uh, we got reached out to by the author of Groats and Grotesques as they heard our episode on Groats and Grotesques, and they were like, my ears are burning. <laughs> we should also point out that the scattershot nature of tonight's recording is very reflective of the, the individual days that Josh and I have had today. It's yeah. not, it's not after 930 at night and I'm drinking a cup of coffee. That's... That's how my day is going right now. Y'all, Brandon sent me a message to be like, hey, when do you want to start recording? At 7 p.m. And I said, that's a great question. I'm just about to leave work. So <laughs> so that meant I got to take a nice long bath and relax before we started talking. <laughs> really pamper yourself. Yeah. Did not clean up the arcade uh, or anything like that. But we got well, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm living here among a bunch of boxes for Queen City Anime Con, which... <laughs> 
By the way, uh, Goblins and Growlers at Queen City Anime Con uh, in just, what, a week and a half? Uh, by right? the release of this episode, not even a week. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, we'll be there at the end of this week. Uh, tabletop Gaming Panels booth will be on the second floor in front of the Tabletop Room. Come visit us and hang out with us there. We'll also be doing a live show for our sister podcast, Quid Pro Roll, on Sunday. So very good hang cross out with promotion. us for that as well. Very good pro- cross-promotion, Josh. I'm very proud of you. I oh, feel like I've you. I feel like I've uh, stolen some of your thunder from Alone Among the Stars, so please please get back to talking about it. Uh, I mean, at this point, I think I'll, I'll close things out just by saying that it was a really fun, really interesting, reflective experience that I enjoyed a great deal and was very easy to get into. Now, the thing I will say about it is that I don't think it's for literally everyone because you need to be into journaling games to enjoy this well fortunately i have a journalism degree so it seems like it's right up my alley (laughs) i just you know i want to be clear that this is not like everybody's gonna go out and play this and they're all gonna love it because i recognize not everybody finds writing things as fun as you and i definitely would Honestly, I wish you found writing things a little more fun lately, but that's a conversation <laughs> to be had off microphone. Fair, fair. Said, said the said the editor of games. Uh, <laughs> before we get before we uh, are you are you wrapped up on uh, I, Alone Among the Stars? I'm feeling pretty wrapped up on Alone Among the Stars. Okay. I want to go off script for just a second uh, and mention something else before we get into the main topic. And it's it's, it's sort of related to indie game stuff. But um, uh, just before we started recording, I sent I sent Josh this uh, link that I had found to this story about the um, Museum of Soviet Arcade Machines uh, about uh, in the you know late 70s, the 80s in the Soviet Union, uh, these arcade machines that are like weird mirror universe versions of ones you would see in american arcades and because of uh, the manufacturing infrastructure in the soviet union these were most of these were produced at uh, military factories so they're made all with like military grade equipment like the periscope on the sea battle game uh could have been installed instead on an actual russian submarine but anyways i was i read that this morning before work and it got me thinking about what the russian like tabletop role-playing game scene either is was or could have been like so uh while i was waiting for josh to get the show notes ready for tonight i was uh, poking around on reddit and i found somebody in uh r slash rpg from like three years ago i found an archive thread it's like hey i'm from moscow and i'm playing uh tabletop role-playing games for five years uh you know blah 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 ask me anything about russian game culture and it starts this whole thread about folks saying like, hey, I'm from the USA. I, you know, was D&D popular there? Uh, is there a big Russian indie scene, Russian language only RPGs or whatever? And I, it's, it's worth a whole episode in and of itself. But I, uh, I scrolled down there and I found one thing where somebody said, well, you know, really, there wasn't a huge role playing game scene. Uh, it wasn't really something that came to uh, came to this area until you know the the 90s sort of after after 1991 after the fall of the union and but they said but one thing that was released in uh, 1990 it's sort of like a, a classic soviet slash russian <laughs> tabletop role-playing game it's called enchanted country um i found on the um role wikipedia 
uh, essentially the fandom site for just general RPG stuff. I found a version that was, uh, I found an article about it that was entirely in Cyrillic that I had a Google auto translate done on. And it it had a circulation of about 40,000 copies in 1990. I, it sold for 25 rubles in 1990. And try as I might, I cannot find a currency conversion for rubles to USD from 1990. So I have no idea what that means, because I think that was before the ruble value, value crashed uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union. So I don't know. But anyways... It includes a map, a rule book, a host's book, as well as 100 cards depicting various monsters and their characteristics. Now, this auto-translate is terrible. Uh, it's very pieced together, but it looks like you, you you use the cards to create encounter like non-random encounters, but you just pull them out and play them. It, uh, before the start of the game, each player gets himself a game sheet where he writes down the qualities of his character, the things he has, and game points. Strength, dex, wisdom, constitution, courage, as well as the amount of money. Uh, buys weapons, armor, and things. What a cron is and what it looks like are not explicitly explained anywhere. And I guess that's something it's referring to. Oh, oh, it's it's crown. It's supposed to be, it's a bad translation of crown. <laughs> that's what it is. An additional ability is repelling animals. There's a weird... Um, there's a weird illustration of some sort of like a goblinoid character. Clerks, crowns, mages are wizards who inhabit the country. They act depending on the mood. They can give something, get rich, or they can take away a valuable thing. The facilitator, using the facilitator's book, describes the current situation <laughs> to the players, after which they decide how to be behave in a given situation. Battles are fought with dice! <laughs> It just, I would love to get a copy of this just to have. I actually, I looked on eBay for a few minutes and found absolutely nothing because only 40,000 oh. of them were produced like 32 years ago. So oh. it's going to be so difficult to find one. If anybody has a copy of Enchanted Country that was released in the Soviet Union in 1990, uh, please send us a copy because <laughs> I would love to see this. I would... I read a book uh, several years ago called Red Star in Orbit uh, by a man named James Oberg, who's uh, an expert on the Soviet space program. And it was just a fascinating read, a sort of a mirror image of what you learn about in school in the United States about space exploration. I have to imagine getting my hands on some Soviet era role playing games, if there are any, would be a really similar eye opening experience. But anyways, that was <laughs> that was my spur of the moment thing I wanted to talk about that I discovered while I was waiting for us to get started tonight. That is a little bit of a wild tangent, but I do love the idea of someone reaching out to us on Twitter and being like, oh, I know where you can get a copy of Enchanted Country <laughs> in Soviet Russia. Dice roll you. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. So, okay. What are what are we and uh, uh, what are we actually talking about? <laughs> Today's primary, I should say, topic. I've thrown Josh is, completely off the rails. I I was I was not expecting at any point to start talking about Russian RPGs. That was not <laughs> a conversation I was anticipating having tonight. We're having such I'm a excited. Free, we're having such a free-flowing conversation of a podcast tonight. And it's only going to get worse because we're just going to get mad about stuff. <laughs> we are going to get mad about stuff. You know why we're going to get mad about stuff? Because the primary topic of tonight is unpopular D&D &D opinions. Oh, I'm so mad about this. You can call me Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt. <laughs> I won't. I won't. I could, but I won't. Way to no sell that. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, let's tell everybody how this how this topic got started. I stumbled upon a Reddit thread because I get bored sometimes, and it was uh, just about sharing uh, your you know unpopular D and D opinions. And I sent it to Josh, and I said, "Hey, maybe this is a way that we don't have to like interview somebody or read a book." to talk about on the next podcast. So Josh put out the call on Twitter and in our discord, which if you're unaware is conveniently located uh, at bit.ly slash goblin discord. So come find us there and share your unpopular opinions. Uh, But we had a very solid response uh, that certainly gives us enough to talk about for at least 30 minutes. Uh, And then Josh and I threw ours in there as well. We also got some responses on Twitter. Hell yeah. So kind of, to start things off, uh, the one person who is so active on our Discord that he has exceeded my activity level on our Discord, which is impressive because I'm pretty active on there. Yeah. Uh, Glocken, the dragon on Discord, says maybe multiclassing was a mistake. And then kind of goes on to clarify that uh, it makes class balance really hard and then this is something that he blames for a lot of the when wizards is creating a new subclass they're like oh well we can't make the low levels too powerful because then people are going to take a multi-class dip and they're going to be broken he blames a lot of like rangers not being good on that mhm I, I, think... I know i know like that's a common thing that i hear a lot people talking about how rangers aren't really unique enough for their own class but I haven't played a ranger in 20 years since second edition, so I'm not uh, authority there. We do have an upcoming opinion about rangers, but I won't get into that right this immediate moment. Is it Zordon? Is is he the one who said something? <laughs> uh, no, it was not Zordon. Okay. Okay. The thing I think about multiclassing is that wizards should not be doing balance based on whether or not multi-classing is balanced. Because multi-classing is an optional rule, and it always has been, and it always will be, and that's how it should be, so that they don't have to balance that thing specifically. People mm-hmm. who allow multi-classing at their tables should understand that sometimes players are going to do stuff that's really broken, and either be the kind of GM who's like, that's cool, I'll manage, or the kind of GM that's like, homie, you just broke everything. And while I respect your game, we're going to have to change your character. Tabletop role-playing game. Respect tabletop role-playing game. <laughs> um, I have two opinions on this. And the first is, I don't think... All right, well, I guess it's more than two, I guess. I'm, I'm sorting the bullet points out in my head, so it's more, it's more than two. But number one... <laughs> Number one, uh, you know, you're talking about people who allow multi-classing at their table. I don't think it should be a question of allowing it at your table. If it's something your players want to do, let your players do it because everybody's there to have fun. If you're not going to allow it, like you really need to spell that out like upfront before people put in the effort to try to come up with character concepts. Um, I like multi-classing just theoretically because uh, I think the average uh, American has seven distinct careers in their lifetime nowadays uh so you know maybe if you start as a fighter you want something more out of life uh and you know then you meet a demon and make a pact and it sets you out on a whole other path in your life uh so i think it's reflective of people's interests changing 
and it helps you be a bit more of a well-rounded character and can make you a bit more of a clever and inventive player uh with that so there's point one um point two is if you're gonna do it recognize that it may cause you a problem later and i guess i'm using problem with like a lowercase p because there are no problems in this is this is probably a whole other unpopular opinion in and of itself but there are no problems in D. there are only opportunities um <laughs> nothing is broken it just needs uh, just things like that just need finesse um if if your gm is saying oh like well your character's broken because you can't do this that or the other thing that means you just have to step up your game and get intellectually creative about how you want to spin this multi-class and i'm saying that as somebody who's playing a triple multi-class character and has been since 2018 uh and boy howdy does it cause problems at low levels so i can't really argue with that but it was something i walked in the door knowing i would be doing because i specifically designed that character for that uh so i don't think it's a, like he's saying it's a mistake is being very categorical about it and i don't like that because there's there's good there's bad sometimes things can work sometimes they don't work but it doesn't mean it's a, a mistake uh the thing i i feel myself coming to is there's no wrong way to play D that is fun for your table right Period. there is a there is a wrong way to play D if it's only fun for you <laughs> i did say for the table yeah I'm just clarifying. I know what you said, and I agree with you, but I'm just clarifying. Yeah. No, I I fully agree. Fully agree. It's it should be it should be fun for everybody. All right. Let's let's get into our next unpopular opinion. Okay. Corpse on Discord says DMs should roll in the open and not fudge their dice. I think I think anyone who knows me moderately well knows exactly what I'm about to say, which is. I'll fudge my dice when I please. Yeah. Um. Would you like to elaborate on that before I go off yes, on one of my I will, tangents? I will absolutely elaborate on that. Okay. Basically, for me, the dice are a device for creating stakes in the game. Mm-hmm. And if I feel like the stakes are too high or too low, I'm going to change that. Because I, being the arbiter of what we're doing for the evening, am not beholden to the dice. And I... I will roll better for myself by fudging the dice. I will roll worse for myself by fudging the dice. But my goal at all times, if I am changing numbers that are rolled on a die, it's because I am of the opinion that it's not as fun when I'm constantly missing with all of my monsters Mm -hmm. because my players are getting bored because they're not in any danger. I agree with you. But I can understand the other perspective, uh, maybe from somebody who wants to cry fairness about it, because players have to roll out in the open. So why shouldn't the GM? But the GM's the one crafting the story and they have to hit particular beats on it. And sometimes you need to hit some drama and the dice aren't cooperating with your storytelling. And some people might say, well, I mean, the dice need to drive your storytelling and that I don't agree with that because that robs the GM of the need for critical thinking, which is imperative to being able to tell good improvisational stories. Um, 
And the counter argument to that would be, well, they should improv based on the results of the dice. And in a perfect world, yes. But in the real world, where we maybe have 30 or 40 minutes to plan a session, uh, sometimes things need to go a certain way. Uh, um, you know, and sometimes you can adapt to it. Sometimes you can't. I also feel like there's something to be said for if I've planned out a dungeon and I know how many encounters the party's going to have, I don't want them to use all their resources on the first fight against a, a bunch of mook goblins because mm -hmm. that's not they're going to be frustrated by the time they get to fight number three and are like we have no resources anymore it's going to be like some osr game where you get like i don't know a third of the way through the dungeon then you have to leave go back to the town restock go back to the dungeon and then probably fight your way back to where you were so you can continue on it's like the worst game of diablo ever <laughs> now i will i will say uh alan is very much pro rolling in the open pro never fudging dice and i respect that a great deal i will also point out alan is one of the best at rolling with whatever may happen at the table of anyone i've ever known like i i can't play like that I just can't run a table that way. Alon runs a table like a 1980s stockbroker on like so much cocaine. Like, <laughs> she's like, and then this happened. What about this? Yeah, that happens too. And then we'll go do this. And then the and then the giraffe is gonna uh, it's gonna you know aim its neck down off the cliff, and then y'all are gonna zip line down it. And yeah, and, you, 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 sell it all, sell it all, sell it all. Yeah, that's a lot. And, that's a lot. and there are like 10 people at the table, too. <laughs> and it's awesome to watch. And it's a lot of fun to experience. But like, I can't I can't do that. That's Alon, that's not Alon that's is not the, me. Alon is the cocaine Gordon Gecko of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how complimentary he would say that. Uh, Probably not very. Wants, if anybody wants to just walk up and say that and report back, you know. <laughs> he would take it he would take it in stride very politely. I think in context he would be like, yeah, I see it. I see it. All right. What's next? All right. Next, uh I think this is more of a joke, but I put it in here anyway because it's hilarious to me. Lost Limey on Discord says, "You already have enough dice." And my answer for that is no, I don't, because I will have additional characters at some point, and those characters will need their own dice. Do you really do that? Do you have specific sets of dice for specific characters? I don't have, like, dedicated dice for specific characters, but there's, like, two or three sets that I play with with Solonar every time. Mm -hmm. I have, like, ten sets, but Solonar only uses two or three of those, and it all depends on what he's doing at the time. I think you do have enough dice. Uh, I've never been much of a dice collector at all. Probably 90% of the dice in my collection are from a huge batch of like a hundred and some dice that I had probably about, let's see, I'm 40 now, 25 years ago, that I got 25 years ago when I started Dang. playing D&D around when I was 15, 16. Um, because... A friend of mine had just a huge uh, collection of second edition stuff, and then he got out of the game, so he sold it. And me and three other friends bought it, so we each owned a fourth of it, and we just sort of s like split the dice. <laughs> so 
And like any of the dice that you see me in my that dice holder that you and Alon got me a couple years ago, any of the dice that you see in there, most of them are from that set that I got when I was a teenager. I've added a few here and there. Like at Magfest this year, I bought those um, like rockabilly steampunk metal dice that are really cool, and I play those sometimes. And occasionally, I'll uh, just pick up a random set once every few years or something like that. Maybe because it, I, I just needed them at the time because I didn't have my other dice with me or something like that. But dice for me, I do not treat them as sort of the, the rarefied um, sensual item that many people do like a collector's item. Dice to me are, are a utility and uh, it's, you can have very nice utilities like my rockabilly steampunk dice, but I'm not going to spend a bunch of money collecting something like that that I could lose or uh, it's going to spend most of its time sitting in my dice holder until I'm playing or something like that. Uh, if I had some, like now if I had a shadow box in my office and I could display them when I wasn't using them, then maybe like turn it into a piece of art. And I recognize everything I just said comes from a man sitting in front of some uh, replica arcade cabinets <laughs> behind him. So I will I will take my medicine for that one, but it's the same but different. So I will I will agree. I don't have dice that are just for display or dice that are like special occasions only dice. Like I any of my dice that I have are there to be rolled. I have I have roll, rolling dice, that's what they're there for. Um if someone bought me like gemstone dice, that's certainly not something I would probably buy for myself, but mm -hmm. I could see those being like, yeah, I don't really break these out that often. Like I'm only going to use them in these specific circumstances just because, you know, they're gemstones. Right. I don't want to lose one under the couch. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to lose dice. I've lost, I've lost dice. That I know bounced right under the table that I was at. And it was at, like somebody's home. It wasn't like we were running a game at a brewery or something like that. And I never found them again. Yep. And it you happens. Can't tie, you can't tie a string to them because then they won't work. <laughs> you got to get one of those uh, tiles so you can get the Bluetooth tracker on it. Neat. No, that's, and then you'll that's always an, know where they are. That's an argument for metal dice. At the end of the night, you just uh, wave a magnet over the floor <laughs> and suck them all up. As long as you're not barefoot and hit a D4, I think you'll be good. Yeah, or you're not, like, playing right next to your computer or something. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next one. It's mine. My unpopular opinion is that the DM's plot points and campaign notes and the player's backstories are completely malleable and can be changed by their owner or with permission, of course, at any time. I'm just going to let you run with that one for a minute. So I, I've heard a lot of people talk about like, oh, you submitted a three page character backstory when you first started this game and that's your backstory. You have to stick to that. Well, guess what? I didn't know that character that well when I started that game. I mean, if you look at the original backstory I submitted for Solinar and uh -huh. who Solinar is as a person today, that is a radically different thing. It's a radically <laughs> different thing. And a lot of the backstory stuff ended up being fleshed out based on world stuff that I saw in Alex's world. And I was like, hey, you know what would be cool? Now, admittedly, I kept a lot of the like primary beats of the backstory. He's still like 
you know, a re- a retired thief, someone who did a lot of crime, someone who traveled with a lot of gangs back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. His reason for retiring is because his gang died under very sudden circumstances that he believes were his fault. Like these are, these are all things that have been true since day one, but there's also a lot of stuff in there that I hadn't made decisions on. And that a lot of which changed, if only very slightly since day one. Right. And that's how it should be. That's, that's how it always should be. In my opinion. I, I have maybe two answers to this. And a lot of it is because of my the particular way my brain works. My brain works in a very rigid way. Uh, and, it's, you know, once I decide on something, put it to paper, it becomes sort of a fixed point in time. And it is very difficult for me to change that. So as somebody running a game, it's always very frustrating for me when I have to change a plot point. Or, or something like that, or the direction that things are going. Now, you know, obviously the trick is always like if they, if you're expecting them to swerve left and they swerve right, like that's fine as long as at the end of that swerve you get them back on the straight and narrow and, you know, keep going where you were. But it always fills me with like a lot of anxiety in those kind of situations because I'm, I'm thinking on my feet, usually with the way we, we would run games, it was within like a time constraint to get from A to B. So a swerve like that could just like make me need to take like a five minute break and just collect myself, which is, I mean, it's good advice. You need to be upfront with your players. Like, Hey guys, you you just threw me a little bit. So I need to take five and sort of figure out how to reconstruct this a little bit. I, I don't think the same necessarily applies to players backstories. I think those should be a lot more malleable depending on what's going on in the world because it, I don't, you know, you can be the most informative and collaborative uh, table runner and still not be able to communicate all the nuance of your setting to a group of new players who you're probably like, hey, just create like a fifth level uh, something or other for this uh, and, you know, come on Friday night and we'll play it. And then you get there and they're, you know, maybe all of a sudden it's like you realize it's more dark sunish than you thought it was going to be. So you need to tweak your your character. Uh, and that's something that can happen during play. And I think I think I can deal with that a lot better. And I'm just sort of speaking from my own experience, but I can deal with that a lot better than I can with being the GM and having to tear up my paper, essentially, and just plow forward now, if it's something that happens between sessions and I have time to like sit and think and absorb it, that's different. I will say when you were talking about like, oh, you guys have thrown me for a loop. I now need five minutes. I don't know if you've watched a lot of Vines. But no, there's this there's this meme that was going on where it's uh, the intro to Rush's runabout. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> roundabout roundabout. No, roundabout is yes. That's who I meant all along. Uh-huh. Y'all, I'm bad at names. I've always been straightforward about that, and it's proven very regularly. Uh, Yes, yes is roundabout. There's a meme that was, because they used it in JoJo endings, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Mm-hmm. Where it'd not be like not something... JoJo Rabbit. <laughs> not JoJo Rabbit. There'd... there'd be something that's about to happen. It's on the verge of happening. 
and then it would pause, do a sepia tone filter, be like to be continued and play the intro to Yes's Roundabout. Okay. And I just like, I'm picturing your party doing something and then <laughs> you stand up the whole, like the scene goes sepia tone and says to be continued. I mean, yeah, that's kind of how it is. Cause I try to, <laughs> cause I'm like, well guys, that's a good stopping point for a beer break or something like that. So let's, uh, let's take a few bathroom break, everybody. I'll be back. <laughs> and then I take a notepad in there with me and just furiously scribble. Also, yeah. I'm I'm waiting for a bunch of corrections for somebody to tell us that Roundabout actually isn't by Yes. It's by like King Crimson or something like that. I know that's not true, but I'm not going to look it up. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Yes. <laughs> I can't look it up because my microphone is on my keyboard right now to minimize laptop fan noise. That's well, that's the fair. reality of my life. Uh, yeah. yeah, I I should I should clarify that. I am specifically talking about things that have not been fully established in the world because once you fully establish something retconning, it can be a real logical leap for your table. Uh, by the way, I did look it up and uh, indeed uh, roundabout is yes, I was correct. I'm I'm glad you were correct because so at least one of us should be. <laughs> yeah, we're good there. We're good there. <laughs> if I, if I know anything half decently, it's Prague from the seventies. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, next one for our next unpopular opinion. We're back to Lost Limey. Okay. On Discord, and he says, "If I'm DMing, you don't tell me you roll for stealth. You tell me what you're doing to be sneaky slash stealthy, and I tell you to roll for stealth." Hard agree. I uh, yeah i I don't know if this is actually an unpopular opinion because I'm right there with you, man. I'll I'll tell you who it's unpopular for: activist players activist players players who are like oh like uh, players who roll unbidden oh 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 got it got yeah. it got it yeah not like I activist judges <laughs> well, I had a brief... <laughs> yeah activist the... activist players are are they will argue with like the fundamental rules of the game to try and get them changed mid-session right like they're in the middle of a session and they're like hey this rules total tyranny down with the dm down with the dm yeah like i i had i don't know it's been a day man like i just had a brain moment there um yeah i think there's there's situations wherein i think it's reasonable for a player to be like this is a thing i want to do and i can't see any reason why you wouldn't let me for instance you're in the middle of a conversation with an npc is something they say sounds an awful lot like a lie and you're like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna roll insight here, and if there's anything with that, and you would like to tell me that, uh, that would be great. But I think the big thing there is to accept that your DM may say, "No, you don't get to roll insight right now. You gotta wait a little bit. We're gonna mm -hmm. we're gonna wrap this up, and then I'll let you roll insight first. Yeah. Like, and you need to accept that because your GM has plans that they are trying to work through." And when you interrupt their flow like that, sometimes it's really frustrating. Yeah. And I think this this only speaks to like part of what Limey is saying. But I and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else. And anyone who listens to Quid Pro Roll know that's to be a fact. But <laughs> a lot of people will play tabletop role playing games like it's a text adventure. And it's just like, oh, I, roll stealth. 
you know, instead of, all right, I'm going to um, take off my shoes and I'm going to set down my backpack and I'm going to creep very lightly over this brush to try to get to the outskirts of the bandit camp, just outside the, li the line of light for their fire. And then I'm going to try and come up behind a guy and grab him around the neck. Um, but otherwise they're like, I'm just going to sneak up. I'm going to sneak up on the bandit. Uh, I'm going to roll stealth. And so, and sometimes it's a shorthand just because you're trying to think on your feet and you don't want to spend a whole heck of a lot of time. Maybe you're not looking to steal spotlight or anything like that, or even be in the spotlight. Uh, and that's why you do it that way. But yeah, some people play the game like it's a text adventure. And I think that's where some of that comes from. Like different, it's, it comes down to play style sometimes. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, some GMs are going to be more about that than others. I think it's also like the big thing I would caution people on is not necessarily preparing your roles because you're like, I know what I want to do and I'm going to roll this thing so that I'm ready to do it when you're ready for me to do it. Um, but more about, oh, I got an 18 on stealth. I want to stab him. And it's like, he's still talking. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even tell you you could roll stealth. <laughs> like. <laughs> let's let's back it up a little bit guys <laughs> next one next one is yours which mm -hmm. is slavish adherence to enemy stat blocks can impede good storytelling yeah and this is a dovetail really to corpses uh submission about dm should roll in the open and not fudge their dice it's kind of the same thing like i'll roll in the open but maybe i'm gonna tweak what's on that stat block to increase the drama of the moment like if they're at a really uh dramatic point in the adventure it's sort of a pitched battle it's a decisive battle that's going to really sort of change the nature of the adventure going forward i'm not going to let them just stomp that you know you you have to build tension it's it's storytelling it's not it's not just a game it's a story that everybody's telling together and I'll have a stat block in front of me. I like to joke that I like I just keep uh, the stat block for a bear uh, behind the DM screen, and I just adjust HP, AC, and attack power accordingly. So it gives me a skeleton to work off of. And but I don't actually do that. I'll usually have a stat the stat block for the monster there, but I'll tweak it a little bit just depending on how things are going. Because nobody has fun in a squash match, like a total squash match, in either direction. If the bad guy immediately wipes out two or three players or or at least removes them, like does enough damage that they're removed from the field of play, even if they're not dead, or if they stomp the bad guy really quickly, that's neither of those are good. You have to find balance. And sometimes you have to exist sort of in that gray area to find that balance and be able to use it to tell a good story. Yeah, this is part of why none of my monsters ever run like Banish is because... Mm -hmm. It's that's a boring fight for whoever you banish. Mm -hmm. It sucks. Like the don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I I think back to like Final Fantasy VI and Vanish Doom. Uh, I think a, uh, anybody who's around my age and played JRPGs knows that like there was a bug in the game, and if you cast Vanish on somebody, that made them weak against uh, a particular type of magic. And if you cast Doom on them, that would be an insta kill. And it even worked on some bosses. Um, uh, and then there was like using uh, a phoenix down on undead monsters, then it would immediately kill them. Uh, like there was a, like an actual plot point boss that you could defeat instantly by doing that. Uh, it's where the it's, 
it's the train from the from the forest that you could suplex if you had uh, with Saban. But anyway, that's a digression. But those kind of things make the fights uh, not climactic, not dramatic. Uh, you need to, uh, fortunately, unlike with a video game, when you have an actual live person running the game, they can think on their feet and they can make something happen to yeah. m- tell a better story. I, I I liken what you're saying to occasions in video games where for some reason the boss monster has crit on me every time they've attacked. That doesn't end up feeling like a fun challenge. It feels like I'm getting my face dragged through the mud. That happened to me with Breath of Fire 3 in, I want to say, the early 2000s. I got to a boss. I couldn't get past it. I tried like five or six times. I ejected the game from my PlayStation and I have not played it since. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I lost that memory card many moves ago, so I couldn't even start it back up now if I wanted to. All right. I'm going to jump into the next one. Okay. Our next one is Lost Limey on Discord. Again, very, very many unpopular opinions from Lost Limey. Uh, There are too many core races. Tieflings and Dragonborn should be setting specific and not in the player's handbook. What do you think, Josh? This one was tough for me because I like having a lot of variety. I like having a lot of interesting characters, but I get where Lost Slime is coming from on this because that is, especially for newer players, for people who aren't as familiar with what they're getting into, having a ton of options can be really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Especially now that um, Watsy seems to be going in the direction of having sort of a an anthropomorphic animal race for pretty much any mammal you can think of. Yeah, yeah, you know? a little bit. Uh, it, it, it's it's super overwhelming. Um, I I am sort of somewhere in the middle on this because I, I generally agree with Limey's point. Um, but I think sort of the middle road of it and this is something that probably experienced uh, GMs are doing anyway, is you just identify what the races, what the common races in your world are. Um, And you're like, okay, so you can, like, you can choose among these, like, six or seven or something like that. Uh, Now, there are tieflings and dragonborn and stuff in this setting, but they're far, far rarer. Um, uh, I mean, just by the nature of how they were created, there's not going to be as many of them. So you really need to make a solid case to me about why you think you should be able to play one of these based in, based on this world. And then maybe that leads to a conversation with the GM to learn a little bit more about the history of that world. But yeah, it's, it's sort of a choice paralysis kind of thing. And uh, it, I don't know. It just creates a hodgepodge of a world that, doesn't seem like it it's it's like a patchwork world if you have so many of these races uh that players can choose from but yeah i think i think you should limit them like like you know thrycreen and dark sun or something like that like that's where you could play thrycreen like you're not gonna find them walking around in the forgotten realms i mean i think that's i think that's fair i've noted that a lot of the stuff you and i have been like here's here's a way to handle that is all like session zero stuff like things you should be discussing before you ever start a campaign with folks are like what races are going to be really prevalent in your world if someone wants to play a race that's not really prevalent like what makes sense for that 
you know, Mm -hmm. those sorts of things. Absolutely have your session zero, have those conversations, figure out what works for everybody. I will say on like creating characters, I have found it most helpful, especially for really, really new players, for them to not be handed a book and been like, and you're on your way, like, you know, sit down with them, work through it together, have Mm -hmm. it be something where you're like, what do you like in games like these? Like, what are you interested in? Maybe just show them pictures of the races and don't get Mm -hmm. into any sort of specific abilities and be like, we're not going to worry about that right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good way to handle it, especially for newer players. And, you know, the the rub is it always ends up being more work for the GM, but it depends on how dedicated you are to the game. It also doesn't have to be the GM. Maybe it's just a more experienced player that's doing this. That's true. That's true. And putting in that kind of time at the beginning might be the thing that gets that player to really, like, love the game and get attached to it. And more really dedicated players means that we have a higher likelihood of making our schedules line up so that we can actually play. Yeah, because then you can have <laughs> two people miss instead of instead of one before it's before it gets canceled. <laughs> All right, next one. Jump, jumping into the next one, Brecket on Discord says, "Well, doing a wizard with int of eight or whatever can be fun for a one shot. In an actual campaign, you're probably just actively being a drag on the party with that character." You really have to have a solid concept for what you want to be doing if you play that far against type. Originally, when I read this, I was thinking like, absolutely, I can't disagree with that at all because dumb stuff gets dumb and gets old really quick. But then I thought uh, like, well, what if what if you're playing like a fighter like uh, who has a really low strength score? Maybe that like the the backstory is going to do all the heavy lifting for you there, because like, what if they were like a chartered accountant and they decided, you know, like they had they had like a taken sort of situation happen to them and they had to develop their particular set of skills. So that's why they became a fighter and they're still learning. But if you're starting at level one, then maybe that makes sense. And then they can grow into it more uh, as the game goes and find ways to compensate for their generally low strength. Uh, so initially I, I, I straight up agreed with this, but now I feel like it's conditional depending on the work and creativity that goes into the, the backstory and how the character is played from session to session. I fully agree with that. I also think there's something to be said for one way you can do this and do it in a way that you're still a very functional member of the party without needing to be the idealized version of your character because i i'm not big on min maxing for myself i know that's pretty popular among some folks they really like the wargaming aspect of things they really want Mm -hmm. the highest stats we've been over this time and time again it's just not my bag so it when i go to make a character i want them to be flawed i want them to be bad at stuff some of the time Mm -hmm. um I think for something like this, what you could do is have a character that is actually a sorcerer and is actually using charisma as their casting modifier because they think they're a wizard with an int of eight. Mm -hmm. And then you're not you're not really kneecapping yourself. You're also not slowing your party down at all. And on top of all of this, you can still have all of the fun of being like, I'm going to cast a spell, flip, 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 flip. 
cone, cone of cold. Sound it out. (laughs) Hooked on spell components. (laughs) When we were playing, years ago when we were playing games at the hostel, didn't somebody, maybe it was Alon, have a character like that that was like a warlock that pretended to be a paladin? Or was it somebody else? That was Jonas. Okay. Uh, friend friend of friend of the show, friend of the goblins. Uh Jonas played a uh paladin quote unquote that was actually a warlock who wasn't willing to go through all of the things that paladins have to give up to be paladins. Mm-hmm. And so just took a demon deal and made ev- like flavored everything to look like holy spells and then would like have to catch themselves sometimes like I'm going to shoot a bolt of Eldra, I mean, holy energy. <laughs> holy blast. <laughs> Angelic fire. Exactly. Yeah. Now, see, that's what I'm talking about when I'm like, you've got a really clear concept of your character and you know how to play it. Like, that's where I think something like this can work. Well, that's like, we've talked about uh, this on Quid Pro Roll before, but Chapman had a character where he was a ranger, quote unquote, who mm-hmm. was actually a barbarian. And so he would try to shoot things with his bow. And when he inevitably missed, because he had like a dex eight or dex six or something like that, he'd get really mad and just start hitting things with his bow. <laughs> <laughs> like... I remember that. <laughs> They're great characters. They're a ton of fun. And you don't have to worry about, oh, well, you know, I'm being I'm being a bit of a drag on the party because I'm not good at stuff because you are good at stuff. You're just not good at the stuff your character thinks he's good at. Yeah. I just want to take a minute and just shout out Chapman uh, for all the good, solid character concepts he always comes up with. He's super creative and awesome at that. If you've never played at a table with Chapman before, you're missing out. <laughs> if you think all he is is Ekan Koza and Ram Big Thigh, you're missing out. You are. You are, in fact. All right. Our, I, is this our last one? I had mentioned earlier that Rangers were going to come up because I remembered something that I thought was an unpopular opinion and am now realizing it was just commentary amidst all the unpopular opinions that I was recalling. So okay. I'm going to address that real quick. This was another Lost Limey thing. He was talking about how he thinks that rangers are treated so poorly as far as like people are like, well, they're not that effective. They're not that good at stuff, et cetera, et cetera, because exploration was meant to be one of the pillars of D&D. And nobody really bothers with like, oh, you got to make camp and oh, you got to pay attention to your rations and oh, you got like all these things that rangers are supposed to be really, really helpful at. And a lot of tables just don't do it because they feel like it's drudgery. I remember reading that uh, in the in the Discord, yeah. And, uh, you know, stuff like making sure you set up a watch when you make camp at night by the side of the road. That kind of thing. Yup. All things that rangers are really good at, and they and their pet can cover two sides of the camp and things like that. And we just don't... It's some people don't feel like it's fun. And so you don't see as much of it. And then the people who are playing at those tables are like, Rangers are not optimized at all. And it's like, well, not for that game type. They aren't. (laughs) I really enjoy that kind of stuff. Like stuff like checking off your lists of stuff you need to do. Like 
paying attention to to the trees ahead of you like if you know a bird all of a sudden flies out of one of them maybe that means there's a bandit hiding behind a, a rock or something like that or or setting your watch so you don't get snuck up on yeah i mean having stuff like that can be a ton of fun i don't know i don't know that i would expect something like that for an audio medium like uh-huh. i i wouldn't do that for like quid pro roll but I, at home games i love yeah. stuff like that it's a ton of fun yeah and that's what i'm talking about uh with ho- home games where you're not really worried about having to edit the quote-unquote interesting parts for consumption uh don't want to end up spending six hours recording something uh just uh, when you have the when you have the time to sort of indulge in that do it it makes it it makes it feel a little more immersive a little more real exactly all right, taking it to our final unpopular opinion. Okay. Uh, at Temporal Travels on Twitter mm-hmm. messaged us and said, everyone at the table should be there with the intent to entertain the others. DM and players alike. Your own entertainment should be secondary. I think I agree with the sentiment if I'm parsing it correctly, but I disagree with the execution of these two sentences. Uh, I would revise it to say everyone at the table should be there with the intent to entertain. Hard stop. Because I play these games to have fun. I play these games to interact with people. I play to have fun with people. But I don't know if I can go as far as to say my own entertainment should be secondary. Yeah, I agree. That's there's a lot to be said for making sure that your fun is not being ruined, making things fun for everybody else. This is something that DMs are constantly struggling with Mm -hmm. because being a DM feels like you're in the service industry and you kind of are. Yeah. But if you're giving and giving and giving and you're never receiving, then things are going to feel bad at some point. At some point, it's going to feel bad. Yeah. I think... I think the general vibe of this, though, where it's like, come with the intent of being a part of the fun. I I fully agree with that notion. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just this one just gets a little too specific <laughs> and and people pleasy uh, than I'm comfortable with. I think that's fair. And, you know, maybe that's what works best for them and not what works best for us. Because, you know what? At the end of the day, the only wrong way to play D&D is the kind that's not fun for your table. The only wrong way to play D&D is to not play (laughs) D&D. Or uh, other tabletop role-playing games are available. (laughs) Literally, right before you started to say that, I was hearing in my head the angry Twitter comments like, Hey, I like Pathfinder way better than I will ever like (laughs) D&D. You get that Watsy nonsense out of here. <laughs> Watsy your mouth out with soap. <laughs> uh, that was a really good list. I really appreciate everybody uh, jumping in and pre- essentially providing content for us. That was really awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you, everybody, for uh, participating in Josh's little questionnaire. Uh, I thought this was a really fun discussion. Like I said at the top, this is a much more freeform, loosey-goosey conversation we had today, but it's been a while since we've had one of these episodes, so I think it's nice. It's a it's a nice little break from our structured and planned content 
that I never managed to read enough notes for. I was very proud of Josh uh, for actually finding a an indie game, looking at it, playing it. Uh, he's like he started started off the conversation like, "Hey, you're gonna be really proud of me this time," <laughs> and I was, and he was right. I appreciate that. I uh, I didn't anticipate spending two and a half hours playing a journaling game that night. I was like, "I'll download it and I'll read the rules." And I was like, well, these rules are really simple. And I have a D6 right here and I can, I don't have a pack of cards right beside me, but I can go into Google and say, hey, I want to draw six cards from a pack of cards. And random.org was there to greet me. If it inspired you to write, especially the next Liar's Axe adventure, uh, then I'm all about it. I, uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I know it needs to be written, so it's got to happen at some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you can write it in your downtime uh, this coming weekend at Queen City Anime Con when you're just chilling in your hotel room after a long day of working the booth and running games and doing panels and live shows. And not staring at the ceiling and existential, like, needing to recover from all the peopling. Staring out the window of the Meridian Hotel, looking at the Charlotte skyline and the NASCAR Museum. The NASCAR Museum... (laughs) is a surprisingly prominent feature of those hotel views. It was so huge. It <laughs> seems just so antithetical that the NASCAR museum is like in a building like that. It just doesn't feel right. I don't know what I was expecting. Like, was I expecting like a giant Richard Petty head at the top of it? I don't know. Like a, just a giant size bobblehead of Richard Petty on top of the building or something. You were what you were expecting was something that looked like a mechanic's garage, but like five stories tall. Uh huh. Just a big three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Junior. <laughs> uh, uh, that that's my dad coming out. My dad hates NASCAR. Oh, <laughs> uh, he thinks it's the stupidest thing in the world. I don't enjoy it, but I always think it's funny to get him to rail on it. <laughs> I will say it takes a surprising amount of skill to continually make left turns like you would think that would be something that would be relatively straightforward but it's pretty involved now i just want to say i know what you were trying to do there is compliment them but when you started off like it takes a surprising amount of skill to just make a bunch of left turns that really sounds like a backhanded compliment (laughs) (laughs) i mean i look look from the outside looking in, it's like, this should be easy. And then when you learn anything about how the sport is actually played, it's like, this is not easy at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're the ones with the big Tide sponsorships. If we could get a sponsorship like that, that would be great. So we probably shouldn't be making fun of them. That would really tide us over. Ha 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 ha. Uh, yeah, t- Tide brand executives, uh, if you want to sponsor a podcast entirely unrelated to your content and product niche, uh, contact at goblinsandgrowlers.com. I can guarantee that everyone who listens to this show either does or should wash their clothes. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but even if you don't want to sponsor uh, the Goblins and Growlers podcast, you should telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about it. Uh, whether that's through a five star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the podcast catcher of your choice, uh, tell people via email, write it down on little pieces of paper, and put it under the windshield wipers of their car in supermarket parking lots. 
uh with you know we could give you our business cards it's got a qr code on it that'll take you to the goblins and growlers podcast if you scan it uh but just tell people about it ask somebody you know call in a favor ask them to listen to it and if you have anything less than a five-star review uh please privately send it to us so we can address your <laughs> criticism and hopefully get you up there to a five-star review hell yeah i mean five five stars is where we want to be at y'all it's yeah, always where we want to be at. If we need to go on a podcast improvement plan to uh, make our content better, we'll be happy to do it. You just have to tell us about it. God, that is the most middle management thing either of us has said in so long. Yeah, yeah. You don't want your podcast to get put on a pip. Uh, getting Everybody knows getting put on a pip is the step just before they fire you. It's just them yep. creating the documentation for it. Yep, they're just recording all of the things you're doing wrong. Yeah. Well, if you That's- do want to... If you do want to put us on a pip, you can do it at bit.ly slash goblin discord in the <laughs> GNG podcast channel. Um, just make sure that our union rep is there or a third party representative. Exactly. So that the paperwork can be filled out appropriately. Yeah. And uh, if you need to get us that paperwork, you can tweet us at way of Brandalore or at black cloak DM or for both of us at the same time at goblins growlers. This is the smoothest most gelling outro that we've ever done without practicing it before i'm very (laughs) proud of us very proud of us uh anyways everybody thanks for listening uh if you have any suggestions for stuff we should complain about on another episode of the goblins growlers podcast we just told you all the places you can tell us about it so uh also if you're in the charlotte area or you're within driving distance of the charlotte area come to queen city anime con this coming weekend uh, it is uh, mask mandatory and you have to have your vax card or a negative test within what? 24 hours, 72 hours of event start. OK. All right, everybody. Well, we will see you in two weeks. Uh, but who knows? We may, depending on how not tired we are in Charlotte, uh, post a little bit here and there on various social channels while we're there at the con. I'm not going to make any promises because that would just make a liar out of me. And if you are, if you still have questions about uh, Queen City Anime Con info, you can go to queencityanimecon.com for that info because everything's there, including it, the schedule. It's really a shame that .con isn't a top-level domain because it would be I know, perfect right? for, con- for conventions. Oh, missed Muse- opportunity. Museum is a top-level domain. You would think that con would be. You anyway, would. anyway, I'm Brandon at Wave Brandalore on Twitter. I'm Josh at Black Luke GM on Twitter. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, y'all.